Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 972 with Jamila West. Goals matter because sometimes I can help with those goals. I need to understand like how teachable you are as well as like what your goals will determine what this opportunity means for you. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Zinch. For restaurants, large costs can pop up fast, but the traditional loan process can be too slow. And that's why I need to tell you about Zinch. They are a direct lender that makes the financing process quick, convenient, and accessible. Zinch can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days. And all you have to do is fill out a simple online application and provide a copy of your four most recent bank statements and you can get approved within 24 hours. Right now, Zinch is waiving application fees for my listeners, a value of $250. Go to financingthatworks.com to get pre-qualified and see how much financing you could get with Zinch. Loans made or arranged pursuant to California Finance Lenders Law License. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, owner of Rosie's Miami, Jamila West. Jamila, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling super unstoppable. You are. I'm so excited to speak to you. You really are unstoppable. Like just looking at your career, you, you've been the CIA, uh, Johnson and Wales. You've worked in New York City, Los Angeles, Miami, Kuwait, Dubai. Uh, you got a lot going on. You've worked for Jose Andres, Peter Kelly, like. You've been everywhere. Yeah, you know, you yeah. have a really incredible career. I'm super excited to dive into it. But before we find out who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So recently I was listening to an interview with Erica Badu and her takeaway um, <clears throat> was to capitalize on things that are easy for you capitalize on things that are easy for you that's a cool way I, I feel like I'm picking up on what she's putting down but like in your own words what does that communicate for me if, especially being in this industry for so long and it kind of feels like I've been in this industry for two different eras mm. of the restaurant industry okay um, we are ingrained to work hard 
And so the idea... We pride, pride in them. It's the harder we, do, we work, the more we sacrifice, the, absolutely. the better we are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's like the that's the theme of what we do day in and day out and why we're willing to like push ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in today's world, we all want to make money that's sustainable and to give us the life that we would like to live. Yeah. You know, I think that the visualization of that through media and through Instagram has really opened people's eyes to the idea that I don't just want to go to work, go to sleep, go to work, go to sleep. Um, so even the idea of something being easy and being able to provide you with a lifestyle that you want to live is very new to a lot of folks, including myself. Mm. Um, so it just it made me think about the things that I feel like are easy in my life and how I can utilize that to make create a better life for myself. Not necessarily from a monetary perspective, but just from a, a, a lifestyle perspective. Yeah. And like I think that a lot of people get started in kitchens and in this industry because they love people and they love creating food. They love yeah. creating experiences. And I think sometimes if we take like the heart of why of the why, what we do, why we do it, those things that we want out of from our lives um, and the lifestyle that we wish to create will kind of, you know, transition into that. Yeah. Um, if we just focus on what is enjoyable and not necessarily what is hard mm, or difficult. Right. I think we could be way better about finding balance. They say that the average American <laughs> to f- truly find balance and happiness needs between sixty and $70,000 a year. It's really all you need to cover your, your liabilities and to have security. Right. Beyond that is just like it's excess, right. right? So it's like really what do I need in my life just to be secure? And then how do I find the thing that fulfills me, right? And then just finding that sweet spot. I think we, we put ourselves into bad positions thinking we need things we don't, right? But we find that balance. <laughs> For we, sure. We can have such a better quality of life. Just, I mean, absolutely 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, hit us with the quote one more time. I want to hear it one more time. After listening to you, I want to hear how it. So capitalize. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you fine. I think I think so. It's it's not a yeah. It's not a word for word. I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit, but basically, she said the things in life that are easy for you to capitalize on on those things. Yeah, I love that, and I wasn't thinking what you were thinking when you shared that. For me, when I heard you say that, I was thinking like, what is like, what are you naturally good at? Like, lean into your strengths. Sure. Like, stay in your lane. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't like. I think growing up, like people are always saying, like, what are your weaknesses? Work on your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. I think it's like. You know, know what you're good at, know what you're bad at, and surround yourself with people who are strong where you're weak. Absolutely. You know, and just be like, I'm just going to focus on this. And that's why I think partnerships are great, and that you For have sure. a, a life partner and a business partner. Yeah. I'm curious about that, too, because some yeah. people say never go into business with like family or your, your partner, but <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. Some of the most successful people I've interviewed are like have their life partners or business partners. So we'll unpackage that too, I'm sure. But where does it make sense to start sharing your story? You have such an incredible career. Like, when did you know this was your path? Yeah, um, at a very young age. At a very young age, I have both my mother and father are very kind of white collar professionals. They've always worked in kind of office settings. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say limited creativity um, to some degree, but they both grew up in the Bronx. Um, and kind of sought after a lifestyle very different than the one that they grew up in. Um, so with spending a lot of time with my mother, who has always worked in law firms, um, I was exposed to a different style of dining with just being around her, um, yeah. being invited to holiday you know, um, parties at the office, um, luncheons. If you know, it was a day off from school, I would go to work with her and just like, 
I would be, you know, around people that were eating a lot of ethnic food. Mm-hmm. I think that just attributes to growing up in New York yep. and, and her working in Such Manhattan. Such a melting pot. Yeah, yeah for sure. And along with like casualness and elevated dining. Okay. Um, I remember that like she shared a story with me where um, everyone went out for drinks and everyone got a beer. And that was her first experience having beer, only for the sole purpose that everyone else had ordered a beer. Okay. So I think that sometimes, like, you're, you know, I think that I've been put in situations where it's like, okay, I'm going to adapt to my surroundings and learn from my surroundings. Um, She was a single parent for um, the first, like, or no, I would say like five years of my life. And she was working all day and night. So we did a lot of dining out. Got it. Um, So I was always, I always admired the, one, I've always loved food. Mm. Um, Sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes in an unhealthy way. Who doesn't love food? (laughs) Yeah. So like, just, I would be excited to go out to eat. And she was, she's always been a very experience driven person. So it'd be like, okay, we're going to do laundry on the weekend, but like we're going to the diner and then, or we're going to grab bagels and then like, we're getting ice cream. Got it. You know, there, there was always kind of like more steps to the experience. Um, and so I, I loved the idea of that, of kind of like be, having service, being served, but also I admired the server. Okay. Um, In what I, way? I, I, well, it's a very like, you know, kind of elementary way to be honest. Like I, a lot of times it was a young lady mm-hmm. um who was very professional, you know, in, in a very professional type of... of friendly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Friendly and just, like, the uniform. And then she'd be, like, on her little cool computer. And then the food would appear. <laughs> and it's like, this is so dope. Like, she has the... You know, like, yeah. it, it was a very kind of base level idea of just, like, what I, what I enjoyed about, like, seeing that person. But I just thought that it was someone, like, of authority to some degree. And, like... Um, it's just cool that she's using this like device. So you fell in love with the industry really early. Wait, how, like yeah. what device was she using? Because I'm thinking handhelds, but they weren't around when you were a kid. Well, I guess no. She was right. She was right. You oh, know, okay. the, it would be written down, but then you could see from afar oh, the them the in the POS. on the POS. Got yeah, it, right. sure. Right. Um, you know, sense. think like I don't yeah. know, like Friendlies, like yeah, yeah. Fridays, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. I don't think Applebee's was out then. Yeah. But um, so you fell in love with the industry early on as a consumer at, from the re- the receiving side, yes, right? Yes. At what point were you like, I want to do this? I think in that moment. Oh. I was like when I when I get to be 16, when I can have a job, like I want to be I want to be in a restaurant. Was that your first job, 16 years old? Yes, as a busser. And this was in the Hudson Valley, correct? Yes, in Cornwall, Cornwall, okay. New York. So what was your first job? Um, I was I was a busser. Oh, that's right. You yeah. said it. I'm sorry. No, it's um, okay. I was a busser. Was it everything um, you dreamed of? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's awesome. So in what ways? Because I like the hustle of it. I like being needed for things. Um, So I remember my training was quite short, Mm. um, but it was like every single table you have to make sure has water. And I I took that to heart. Um, When the server asks for anything, just do it. (laughs) Um, I love what you just said. I love being needed for things. And yeah. I think that is such a primal human instinct to be, to feel needed. Sure. And it's, it, it's baked within our DNA. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a survival. We evolved to be the, the desire to be needed because sure. if we didn't care about what other people thought of us. We'd get kicked out of the tribe. Yeah. You know, like people yeah. would be like, get the hell out of here. You're not, you're not carrying your weight. Right. Care, you know? Right. And I think that's why we care so much about like, do you, do I feel valued? Am I like, am I being seen? Like, am yeah. I being valued? Like what are you shaking your head? What's going through your mind? I think about one of the language that was used at that first job. So that was the first time that was my first job. And I was, um, 
my position was an essay. It was a server assistant. Okay. And so even that like language meant a lot to me. Mm. I learned quickly that like, okay, I'm a buster. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, that language meant something to me. And I just think that, um, especially in like today's, um, restaurant environment i don't see that as often as i did when i was young in the business what do you mean by that what is that in terms of like taking the job and having so much pride in the fact that you are a part of a tribe and that you are needed Mm. um i think that some in recent years i've seen you know some folks that um we're it's 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 very transactional mm-hmm. um, any any interaction within you know the workplace being more transactional than having genuine care in what the person is doing and maybe I look at that from a different perspective Through because a different lens yeah yeah, yeah for, owner, sure, yeah. for sure for yep. sure um, but to be honest I also saw it so when I moved to I'm sure we'll we'll backtrack a little bit yeah. um, but when I moved to Miami I had been with SBE hospitality group in LA and then I moved with them here in Miami okay. and um, I was one of a group of like four bussers and we were opening the restaurant you came to Miami w- as a busser or as a runner yeah oh, okay yeah yeah uh, yes but that's I- cool though I love the, the depth that they have when they're traveling with the team like that yeah I it- it's a long story, um, but I was going to school and I needed a part-time job and I couldn't commit to being in the back of house and I wanted to s- explore more of the front of house and it seemed, you know, it was it was a job that was kind of, or a position that was kind of pitched to me. Like, mm. we think, I'd really want to be an expo, but the restaurant was just opening. It's like, well, chef's going to be expo, but, you know, there, there was opportunity to be a runner um, and I just took it so seriously. I took the ingredients so seriously, the allergies so seriously um, and so my, my peers would kind of look at me as being stuck up yeah um and they were like we don't like why are you putting so much like why do you care like literally like why do you care so much and so that that triggered that moment again where like they need like we're we're like i i couldn't why do i care because i do i think it's sometimes it's built into some people but sorry i cut you short keep going no it's you know some and then you know at this point i had graduated from the cia like okay we take everything we're in sba this is sorry the timeline so this is later on that's right everything it's it's the culture that that you're that was ingrained into you yes yeah and i couldn't understand why others like like why, why I had to explain yeah. this? Yeah. Like we're we're taking chef's creation and we're the first person to present it. Like it, like yeah. <laughs> you reminded me when I, I was working um, at a restaurant in New Hampshire, um, and there's the the, the chef de cuisine. I remember hear, overhearing him talking to like the line cooks, or maybe it was like uh, some of the servers or something. And he's like, "Listen, guys, like I realize like this is like your summer job, and I respect that. This is my career, mm-hmm. and I know I sound like an asshole sometimes, but you got to understand like." This is this is my life. Yeah. So like, please try to understand that and respect the job. And that that that, that little speech is going through my mind right mm-hmm. now. For some people, it's just like like you said, it's transactional. Yeah. I'm here because I need to beer money and, and fun money for the summer with my friends. Right. The goal is completely different. Exactly. And this person's like, I'm trying to get discovered. I'm trying to get right. to the next level. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be the best. Right. Sure. Yeah. So that's is that what you were feeling? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um. And then when I did connect with the rest of my team and they did understand that like this was my <laughs> this was my career yeah. um our my relationships in the restaurant changed but that was the first moment where i felt like i wasn't surrounded by people with the same little professional goals yeah 
Um, so that so not only being an entrepreneur now do I look at the positions that we hire, you know, f- through a different lens, but I also had a glimpse of it while I was, you know, a part of the workforce yeah. as well, just in different spaces. What was your dream going back now to when you were 16 years old, yeah. your first job? Were you 18 when you went to the CIA? I was, yeah, right so out of high school. So you only had like two years of working in the industry before committing to this as a career, right? Yes. Did you, what was the vision for yourself? What, where so, did you think you would be? I thought I wanted to be a chef. Okay. I wanted to be a chef. At like at like 12, 13, I started after school would watch Rachel Ray. Okay. 30-minute meals and like creating a shopping list, mom please. What the fuck <laughs> yeah. ingredient is this? Um, you don't have to go like, anymore. I, mean, I got your <laughs> like, back. <laughs> like yeah, so like I so and my uh, parents would host a, a great deal of like parties and things so I would cook for these things along with just like family dinner. Yeah. But I also recall at a very early age creating like mock dining like mock restaurants by I was an only child for a very long time as well um so I would like set the table mm-hmm. and like you know I don't know do random things I, I have a, a vivid memory of me literally being in like preschool and there were like orange leaves and I like pretended that I was making macaroni and cheese <laughs> um, so yes like at 16 I definitely knew this is what yeah. was up yeah. um but also prior to that there were like these weird situations that I now look back on and I'm like I was passionate about food and about service and about, again, just like creating an experience um, at a very early age. When in your career did you make the shift from, I want to be a chef to, I want to be in more of the, the business operations side of things? It's a little vain of me. Um, but while I was in LA, I worked for the bazaar um, at the SLS hotel. And how I old just, were you at this point? Like I was 20s? 19. 19. Wow. Um, it was an externship. So the CIA okay. does like your internship yep, in the middle, yep. opposed to at the end. And, um, I don't know. I was just, I realized that I wasn't a great line cook. There's nothing wrong with <laughs> being self-aware. Yeah. You know, like, and I think it's important. Sometimes we like, we, I think people are afraid to admit what they're not good at. Cause they're afraid. Like, like it's like ego or whatever, but yeah. the faster you identify with what you're good at and what you're not good at, the, the faster you can put yourself on a track for success. For sure. I yeah. agree. I, that's the, like, I credit my self-awareness to like what I've been able to accomplish at my age. Honestly, is my awareness and, me just like diving into the things that I realized. So, I mean, I was just, I was tired of like looking like a boy every yeah. day and I would see like these long What's legs. What's wrong with looking like a boy? <laughs> 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 Nothing when you're girl, feminine. Yeah. Guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I would, I would just, it, it, like I said, it's very vain situation, yeah. but I was in LA and there's these stunning long leg women and these like business suits and they would come back to the kitchen they would talk about food and then they'd go out like it and the, the like kind of theatrics of the front of house um along with the fact that like it was very open that they were making a lot more money than everybody else was so um i like in between shifts and stuff i asked the gm like if you ever need help hosting like i was open to doing it um i just always i've always been amongst like these types of restaurants where like the ability to do everything is an asset yes um so i put myself out there a yeah. little bit and, and then oh sorry go you know, ahead. like one more like fun fact i don't know how much of a fact this is but it was i heard in an interview with daniel goldman who's the author of emotional intelligence uh that the peak of emotional intelligence like the height of emotional intelligence is self-awareness mm-hmm. so like i think understanding that kind of helps people like you know i don't know it's just a fun thing to hear and know like yeah. so i just wanted to add that on there sorry to derail your train of thought if I, if I did but what were you no. gonna say um so I, I so I put myself out there and then when I had finished my time in LA went back to New York 
Um, that's where we do what's called Restaurant Row um, when you're when you're a student at the CIA. So you go through um, two of the rest, two of the four restaurants that they have on campus, and then you kind of graduate. Got it. Um, so I was in conversation with SBE, and they were saying, you know, I knew that they were opening up in Miami, and I wanted to. I got my associates from the CIA, but I wanted to get my bachelor's in more of a management style degree. Okay, that was my next question. Yeah. Like, I've never had somebody on the show who was a graduate of the CIA I know both. and Johnson and Wales. <laughs> I was like, "Where's Cornell?" I was yeah, like, yeah, let's, yeah. Oh, let's, it's. Let's, ne- let's, I, I would love. Is that would, next? Oh, I, I would die. I would well, absolutely die. That actually brings me to an interesting question because a lot of people I talk to when I I ask them if they're a CIA grad or Johnson and Wales or Cornell, yeah, um, I'm like. Would you, knowing what you know now, would you go? Would you have gone to school? Would you have spent the money on an education? And a lot of them say no, they they wouldn't. Well, how do you feel about that? It sounds like you might have a different perspective. It's a great question. Um, I think that it depends on what your goals in the industry are. Yeah. I will. I, I mean, like hands down, especially an industry like this that it's everything is so situational. Um, having experience is number one. Like in many interviews when people, you know, what would you tell younger people or whatever? Like get the job, like get and in any industry, (laughs) get the job, be the intern, whatever you can get your foot in the door. Like do that Mm -hmm. first. Um, I accredit the CIA to my very foundational food knowledge. I know the mother sauces. I, I can describe wine like it's very fundamental Mm -hmm. um and i have felt that that foundation has given me a leg up in my overall culinary knowledge and also my respect for food and beverage because you can work at many different places right i mean there's ton i mean there's there's so many options to choose from if you know you're going to seek a job but every restaurant is very different every chef is very different every chef's experience is very different so me gaining that high level of respect, um, I can walk into any kitchen, right? And I, I can I can pull out, you know, some microgreens and I know that I'm going to pick out the wilted ones from the good ones. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, that's, just yeah. that's what I've been taught. And what you're echoing right now is, is like what I hear. You're echoing what, what I hear from a lot of people is it's great for foundational knowledge. But yeah. really... Um, go find out this is what you want to do. Go get into it. Because what they what you experience through the education isn't the same as what happens when you're actually in it. Right. right? So right. maybe you might not like it. Maybe it might not be for you. Maybe So it's good to go. But you were working in the industry before, you, which is really great that to get yeah. that experience in the industry before you commit to the, the the um you know, you, you sign for that loan to go to school, yeah. right, or whatever yeah, yeah. your situation is. But. I will say that a lot of my um, – the reason why I ended up with a bachelor's was because... So, the CIA offered what's called a BPS. So, it's a Bachelor of Professional Studies. And basically, my mom was like, what the fuck is that? Like, yeah. you need a Bachelor of Science. Like, you need to like yeah. have something proper, yeah. at least like for the strength of your resume in case this isn't what yeah. you want to continue And it sounds like do. you're fortunate to have the privilege to be able to go to school. It sounds like yeah. your mom, like not, not all of us come from the, those white collar families yeah. and we have that privilege. Yeah. And I don't, I think privilege has like a negative, like, like condensation. What's not condensation. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, connotation. Connotation. Thank yeah, you yeah. very much. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, connotation that, but privilege is a good thing. I think we, we should be, defined by what we choose to do with our privilege how can yeah. we use our privilege to uplift others right Absolutely. and not everybody's in that position where their cup is overflowing right so like t- take advantage of that privilege and get, it's i think it's more of a shame if you're privileged and you choose not to do anything with it absolutely right because you can't you can't determine who your parents are exactly you can't determine how much money they have yeah. you can't you can't determine where you live so again self-awareness yeah right and then like yeah using that to to the fullest extent and then 
bringing people up along with you or sharing your knowledge or share, you know, having the opportunity to share your experiences to your point, like utilizing it for the greater good is almost like it's, I don't want to say it's the responsibility you have, but I, there's a lot of integrity in that though. Yeah, exactly. You as a person, um, have the opportunity to what's holding you back from, from doing it. So yeah, I think that that like structure that both of my parents had and a a lot of their like unknowing of this business in any way, (laughs) like in any shape or form. That's my next question. Before we move on to like you actually getting into your career and like working like beyond college, like, how, what did your parents think of this? When you, your lawyer mom, like, what does she think of you wanting to do a school? The yeah, work in restaurants? my dad was definitely like, yeah, like, what did no. your dad do? Um, so he has, I, I just recently realized what it was he's doing. He does like commercial and real estate development for like section eight and like um, community community housing um, speci- yeah specifically in the South Bronx and then like and then he, he ended up taking other opportunities outside of that and now he's like a real estate business professor at NYU oh wow cool. yeah yeah so how did they feel um, he, he he in particular was he kind of took it like you're a young black woman the idea of of me being in a kitchen for him was very archaic and a little like um, inappropriate. Did he ever come around? Yes. Oh, so what? he actually he because he had been in politics and public housing, and um, he was living in Yonkers at the time. He was introduced to Chef Peter Kelly, um, who is the, who is the owner of X Two O, and he actually landed me my job, my first job there. Okay. I worked at X Two O as a summer intern. So. And Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, for those that don't know, Peter Kelly, for Yonkers specifically, kind of started a more elevated dining scene. And how that started was because um, Bobby Flay and, what is it, like, the, the, the grill, the grill competition. Uh, oh, Beat Bobby? Wait. Is before that. Oh, before It was, I like, his know. first competition show. I think that it was really, like, grill-based. I don't remember. I don't, I'm not I a can't recall either. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, but... Chef Peter Kelly won against him. And I think he might have even been the first competitor to win against... Beat Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Um, And there was no elevated dining in Yonkers. Mm. Below, you know, okay, so like just south of the Bronx, you have the heart of Manhattan. people who aren't... Completely familiar with like the the geography Mm -hmm. of New York. How far is Yonkers from like Manhattan North? So... Depending on traffic, it's around 15, 20 minutes. But so, essentially, Yonkers is just north of the Bronx. Yeah, so it's the it's Manhattan, the Bronx, and then Yonkers. Yes, exactly. And then just north of, um, and it's it's a part of Westchester. It's not a new, it's not a borough of New York City. It. It's in Westchester. But Westchester County also has great suburbia, um, and with that comes great fine dining mm-hmm. along uh, the Hudson River. Yeah. Um. So you have you know. Um, Hastings and Croton Harmon and like great cities that are creating elevated food. But then you have this kind of like oddball in between New York City and like in yeah. Westchester that is what doesn't really have a lot yeah, going there's on. There's a subtle little lesson here. And uh, it's in my my conversations with people across the country, there's a sweet spot of like for finding a location. Like I think people think that it's location, location, location. But as markets expand, like if you can find like the edge of a market where like the rent might be the difference of like two thousand yeah. dollars, right. you get in. Uh, I think maybe like 
I feel like that might be happening with what you guys got going here. Being I was just north say, of Miami. Yeah, like, yeah. If you guys can keep this going for a couple of years, you're going to be in it. Yeah. You know, for so you sure. get in early, you're on the edge, you lift up the communities on the, yeah. the edge too, which is, I think is beautiful. Yeah. What's going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I as I explained, like, how X2O, the restaurant, fit into, like, you know, dining at that time. Um, it's very similar to what we've done even at the Copper Door. I mean, like, Yonkers is a, is, is a majority black um, city. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, when we opened the Copper Door, it, you know, it was in uh, Overtown, which is a historically black neighborhood that had been overlooked for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of see, like, there's just, it's, it's kind of full circle for yeah. me to, like, remember this outstanding restaurant a miss like a ghetto and for me and you know in my experience with opening up um an elevated lodging experience within I think a it's similar smart. community you know it's like somebody's gonna be the risk take the risk to go to that community to, to make the change to lift right. it up right, right so right, right, i think right. good on you for yeah. sure yeah. um so let's talk about the career like moving yeah. forward um you had some amazing stops like you said uh so you you graduated around 2012 i'm assuming yep um so 2013 2000 2011 2013 year sba you mentioned that was your, your internship or your midterm what do you yeah call it? so sbe and SBE, yes i yeah. so i worked with them as an intern in la and then i ended up working for them just as like a line level team member here in miami but i really like I was about Jose on this. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, the hospitality group taught me so much about relationships, about experience. I mean, this, this hospitality group, I mean, like, Eva Longoria had a regular table. Like, this, this was really, like, high-end dining in a very cool way. Um, but I was there for the, for the food um, and the idea of working for Jose Andres and the idea of... Oh, I love how you say um, that. <laughs> I destroy his name. Um, and the idea of, like molecular gastronomy and just like doing like cool creating cool food and just being exposed to a different style of dining than i ever had before mm. um i forget what your question was. no i was just like beyond <laughs> college like oh, what yeah, was natural yeah. what was your path I, I see relatively soon after graduating you're in kuwait <laughs> yes. like that's wild what what yeah. brought you way the heck across the other side of the world so what's interesting is um i alluded to this you know tough time that i was having as a runner mm. um at the restaurant and i and like at the time so sbe's restaurants really started in la and this was one of the first projects that they had outside of LA. Got it. So there was kind of like a core team that would come back and like visit and check up on things and, you know, kind of like a training style yeah. team. Um, Describe Kuwait. What kind of city is Kuwait or oh country, God. I should say? It's uh, country, right? Yeah, yeah it's country. a country. When I was there, it was a little archaic. It felt like I had gone back in time like 30 years or yeah. so. But um, it's right on the water. So I think people yeah, that think about coast. Kuwait, they must be thinking like desert, which, which isn't unaccurate but you're right in the water so i would imagine it's a little green no it's a little green um there's definitely it's so it's a uh, it's a gcc country a gulf coast country um right next to is it no it's not dubai what's so uh it's right next to the river that goes up yeah so it's a it's a um the gulf the gulf uh what is it the gulf of or is it the arabian sea i don't know yeah please do because i'm 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 getting lost (laughs) keep going um So, yeah, so, I mean, long story short, I, like, spoke to someone and was like, hey, look, like, I feel like I'm capable of more. I don't know what that looks like. Um, My alcohol knowledge was very minimal at the time. Um, I had a very, like, difficult conversation with the the GM at the time of of the restaurant here in Miami. 
And he basically was like, name me five gins, name me five vodkas, name me five, like, and I drowned. Yeah. Because I was 20 years old. You got to learn I, I was only drinking right? to party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was like, well, you're, you're not ready to be a server. Not here, at least. Yeah. And, I, and I got, I felt that. Like, I understood. Candor is important. It, it really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, and so, like, I just randomly got a call. Like, hey, we'd like to interview you. We're opening up a different concept than the bazaar in the Middle East. Um, can you like sit down and chat? And I was like, yeah, let's chat. And lo and behold, they offered me a supervisory position. Really? So I went from a runner to a supervisor. Why do you think that is? Why, how, how does that? Is it because the market was it was different that you could kind of get like in your own words? I think it was a little bit of a combination of like, fuck, who the fuck is going to go to Kuwait? Like, <laughs> like, ooh, like, all right. Um, along with my my background, yeah. my my background with the company. Um, what was unique with your background? The fact that I had worked for them in LA, and then moved, you know, and then moved to Miami and worked for them. So again. you're loyal to them; they're going to be loyal but, yeah, to you. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, and it really was experience driven. Like, I, it wasn't like I was making a whole lot of money mm-hmm. um, to move a, to move to the other side of the world. Well, this is the time to do it when you're 21, yeah, 22 exactly, years old. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. They, they looked at all yeah. these things and was like, "Let's see if she's down." Yeah. And of course, I'm like, I'm packing my bags. Like, Mom, we're going to Dubai. Like, she it, came it, with you. She. <laughs> she, she, she did she, you retire? She ended up visiting, <laughs> okay. which was like, I'll tell you more about that later. Yeah, it, so it was great. I, I got um, so Kuwait for people geographically. It's in the Persian Gulf. Uh, it's Persian smack, Gulf, right between Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Iran. I mean, was it scary for you to go to this part of the world, especially very, at that time? Very scary yeah. at that time. Again, my father thought that it was not a great idea, but he like <laughs> I, I was like, "I'm going to LA. <laughs> it's too dangerous. I'm going to Miami. It's too dangerous. I'm going to the middle yeah. of." <laughs> Literally in between Iraq and Afghanistan, he's Your like, poor dad. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah, just like beside him, like freaking out the entire time. How was the experience? It was challenging, but I didn't see it. I can look back and say and understand how challenging it was in the moment. I honestly was just hyped to be there. Yeah, I bet. I, I was just like, experience. yeah, I was just really excited to be yeah. there. And I've always wanted to be an expat. Um, I grew up traveling a lot. So this was just like one of those things that felt right yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, as a, as an American, super positive as a black American, a little different. We'll get into um, and and then a wo- and then being a woman on top of that. Share, um, yeah, share that perspective. So the fir- so maybe like the first so and uh, you know like the whole world at this point is like prepping me. Don't go out at night. Don't do this. Make sure you know your shoulders are covered. Um, only only pants. Um, skirt like down to your like everyone's just like giving me giving me tidbits and it's starting to give me like a little bit of um anxiety, anxiety. <laughs> yeah, i can imagine for sure so the first night the first two nights i did not step foot outside past six o'clock they like they you get to the like and there's no no cell phone service no cell phone they're just like they email me like this person's gonna pick you up he'll find you or you have to find them and then they'll take you to get a sim card for your phone wow so just the idea of like landing in the middle of Kuwait and I have to find somebody like <laughs> that's scary. You want me to find somebody or right. someone to find like it's just very um, unorganized. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It was like I found the person. You go find somebody. Oh, by the way, your life's at risk. Yeah. like <laughs> I found the guy. He was really cool. He, we got the SIM card. But like literally like 
I think I got there at like four or five in the afternoon and I didn't leave the flat at that point. Like no dinner. Oh man. Like he had some snacks or something and like that was it. Like I was just too scared. I was still like did, too did, did this anxiety ever settle down once being there? Once kind of getting acclimated sure. and figuring For things sure. out? For yeah. sure. Um, by like week two, I definitely felt more comfortable. Um, but then I was faced with, with just like culture shock. So... I had walked to like the supermarket and I can, there was like a little, a guy breaking bread basically. And, um, and I'm like, Oh my God, this is like beautiful. Like I can't like, so like you can just smell the yeast and you see the, you know, you see the wood fire grill. And, um, so I get online for my bread and the guy baking is like shouting in Arabic. Okay. Like I'm I'm not like, I'm just on, like, I have no idea. Okay. Like whatever. Like everyone, yeah. Everyone's loud, including yeah. like everyone's shouting, like whatever. <laughs> and then the person in front of me like turns around, is like, the women's line is over there. Oh, you, it was the only you didn't realize. Uh, it. Yeah, oh. yeah. I was on a men's only line. Oh my goodness, for bread. It's crazy to wrap your mind around. Like this is like not that long. This is ten years ago. Literally, you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like I like it was so. Even the idea, because I mean, this whole time as I'm like preparing for this flight, preparing for this trip, like you, you know, you do research and like, I'm like, okay, I can get used to people wearing hijabs and like, you know, what culture. is the reason why? Why do they say this is why we do it? Like, what is the underlying reason? Maybe the, the reason they say, but the real reason why in your perspective, in your, in your, through your lens. I just feel like it's a very ancient civilization. Um, and this is how it's things culture. were. Yeah. This is how culture things takes were time a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, Kuwait is very interesting. I mean, the majority, uh, all Kuwaitis have some level of wealth, not just like money, yeah. like wealth. Yeah. Okay. So you have like this very small country with a great deal of expats, mm-hmm. like over 65% of the people populating Kuwait are expats there to work. Um, I believe it's, I think it's still true, but at that time, the Kuwaiti dinar was the strongest currency in the world. So you have folks from like impoverished countries like India and South Africa and the Philippines, um, all coming to this one, you know, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, all coming to this one country to make the most out of that dollar. Mm -hmm. Um, send it back home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so you, you have still like a very caste style system mm-hmm. so you have people that are at the top of the world like not just the top of their country the top of the, the, world. Top the, of the world. one percent yeah and you have the the, the folks that are on the, the lowest opposite. point in the yeah. world wild and you put them together on in a small country and it, it was hard to watch at times i bet really really hard to watch and i my personal experience was also very interesting so when i was there i would be seen as an african person like i'm from africa yeah ironically i feel like miami's similar in some ways driving around (laughs) you know like i can't help but like bring it up because like yeah because it's we literally we're talking about this over the past couple days yeah like you go literally a couple blocks you see Ferraris, Porsches, and then a couple more blocks. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, and this happens all over the country, right? Um, The idea of, I mean, the idea of segregation is still like kind of, it still like happens here. Not, not, um, not on purpose necessarily, but you have a lot of older generations and it's like, 
this is where Haitians live. Mm-hmm. This is where Cubans live. This is where Venezuelans live. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the like. Yeah, but I think that I th- I'm so. I don't want to jinx it. I think yeah. we're 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 getting to a time where that that old school thought is starting to go away. Yeah, here. It doesn't happen overnight, yeah. but I think it's happening, and I'm I'm hopeful for it to happen. I mean, and this is what happens when there's gentrification. Like this is what happens with progress. Mm-hmm. Gentrification, gentrification can be looked it's at a, in a lot of different ways. It's, I know. And when I make the argument that I think it's, it kind of like it lifts up communities, it puts an end to an old way of doing things. Yeah. Which is a hard way to th- look at it. But like you got to break the cycle, I feel like, sometimes. For sure. I feel dirty even saying that. but it, 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 You have to break the cycle. But those folks that have that live here, that work here, that have been here, yeah. have to have a place in that progress. Right. Right, right, like right. they 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 have to have a why. They but have when to- you got billions of dollars of down the block, I think we can scrape some a little extra to help find. You know, like it's it's just a perspective. Like what's For going sure. on? You For know, sure. it's, the money's there. For sure, it's there. For I sure. think we can move away from this and continue on to your story. <laughs> but I think it's important that we talk. Like, like restaurant stoppable is about the, the industry, but it's it's very cultural too. You know, like, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. it has to be. Um, so to your story, biggest lessons around your your career and how you evolved as a professional in Kuwait and we'll move on. I learned how to professionally manage amongst a lot of different people mm. within my team at the restaurant alone. So I worked for Katsuya. So how do you do that? Yeah. I, how do you manage amongst a lot of different people? Patience with understanding. Like having pre-shift, for example... And touching and, 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 and using language that can relate to at least five different personalities. Sometimes it keeps it kind of generic in that sense, but using like examples and creating like a relatable atmosphere kind of like speaks to everyone. Mm. Um, in my team alone, there was over 20 different, con- 20 different nationalities. That's, that's a unique challenge. I don't <laughs> think everybody listening to this is going to be faced with that challenge. Yeah. And that, that's that. That's like why I went out there, yeah. right? Like these, these are this, this is why you make such a bold move. How long were you out there? It was about two years. Oh wow! I took about eight weeks after I decided to leave to just travel. Um, but yeah, o- o- almost almost two years. So how to manage a, a group of different types of people using language to do that? Any other key lessons that help transform, really evolve who you were as a professional? Um, I think that I definitely developed a, a, a voice. Um, I was looked at as an authoritative person um, for a lot of people that had never seen a black woman in that type of position. Um, and I think that I was, I was, I was not used to leading, mm. right? Like m- busser, line cook, you know, garmage, yeah. line cook, runner. Now I'm a supervisor. Now, now I have people looking, literally looking to me like, what do I do? And and I didn't have much like experience in that, so it forced I, me to. Yeah, I'm sure there's actually a lot of people who meet that description really well, like being forced into a place yeah. of, of leadership, right? Right. And they're like, that's probably why they're listening to this show right now. Like, I need to learn. I want to learn. I'm hungry. I want to be the best. Right. Um, so, what advice do you have for that person who's who's just been thrust into this place of leadership? How like what like what what advice do you wish you could give yourself if you yeah. could go back in time? Um, my, my advice would be to take a moment to reflect on places that you've worked or positions that you've had when you were when you were that person that looked up to somebody else and like what did you enjoy from that experience what kept you going back shift after shift 
what was it that that GM said during pre-shift that really like spoke to you and take all those like gems that you've gathered based on your time and apply that to your new role what what whatever inspired you is probably going to inspire mm. someone else yeah I love that um what where does it make sense to go from here? I don't want to. Is it? <laughs> do we want to stay here a little longer? Is there anything I don't want to like rob you of a, a key part of your story, or should we keep going forward? Um, yeah, we can keep moving forward. Awesome. I think I think Kuwait Kuwait was great, and it was very kind of like it was it was it it, it was strong for my resume, mm. um, and it was strong for experience. Well, just so. being a part of the SBE group was great for your resume. Yeah, I mean, for smart sure. move going there for, for sure. sure. So two thousand M and H. Al Shia. Oh, Co. yeah. That's, is that that's, a different group? But wait, no, that so is this. That's Kuwait. Yeah, Sorry, that's my Kuwait. Bad. It's all good. Um, the community table, Kuwait. Did you? Oh, yeah. So I did. So I, I, it was so interesting. So there was a line cook at um, the bazaar here, and he was from Kuwait. Okay. And we developed this great relationship, and it ended up that he ended up moving back to Kuwait while I was in Kuwait. So he kind of like put me on to different friend groups that were in this industry and really cared about food and wanted to create better hospitality experiences in Kuwait. So I ended up doing like consulting work while I was while I was, you know, um, in, in the day to day of the restaurant that I was actually working in. So what were you consulting on? Um, just like front of house um, knowledge, how to speak to guests. Um, they, a lot of my friends were trying to create a more modern dining experience. I mean, when I say archaic, I mean it. Like, there would be many servers where it's just like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, very transactional. Um, and so a younger generation of chefs and, and restaurant tours that were creating concepts in Kuwait really wanted something that felt a little more Western and felt a little more modern. Personality. Yeah. I Be mean, person- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just not sounding like a robot. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's weird. I remember there was a period around like, yeah, like the, like the, like the end of like the early two thousands until like the 2010s that like everything was meant to be like, this is exactly how this is yep. like, like, like robot was like what you wanted to be. Yep. I'm so happy we got away from that. It seems like everybody went there and then somebody was like, yuck. Yeah. Like, why are we doing this? This is weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. Right. Why do you think we shift away? What happened culturally in the industry that made us go away from that? I think that the, um, kind of the opening up a little bit more to what an experience looks like. And I don't know if this is something that was like, learned or or realized in more of a European style of dining. Um, But I think that like high end or or elevated dining was, has slowly been more and more exposed to like mainstream, um, you know, consumers. And I I can only, like, I think back to like, you know, the folks that created Union Square Hospitality Group and how personal they create their, you know, the structure of their restaurants um, I, I I believe that there are folks that experienced this and saw this and was like walked away from dining feeling like that felt really good. Like the food was out of control, the beverage was like ridiculous, like just like so good. But like that service was something I'd never experienced before, and I feel something. Yeah. Well, I think fine dining, the food has for fine like the, you think fine dining for for a period was only kind of reserved for like the elite yeah right and i think those people who could afford to eat like that were probably used to a more transactional relationship with the people who were serving them Mm -hmm. so 
I think it probably felt more natural for that those elite. But as food, high quality food started to seep into more lower cower like yeah, yeah more yeah. middle class environments yeah. where people felt weird to have be served on like i'm just like i'm a, a normal person like right. stop being so stiff right, right like right, right. loosen up have a conversation with me like it probably didn't translate as well as sure. the only thing that's coming to my mind right now yeah no i definitely agree with that i also think too just like the idea of entertainment that has to that has to have a lot to do with it it's like okay when I when I go out with my friends and when we're drinking and when the bartender is like, you know, connecting like on a very casual level, like, OK, how can I create that? Yeah. But in an elevated environment, yeah. like I just think the entertainment aspect mm-hmm. as well. Like, yeah, I think maybe like the idea of even club restaurants might have something to do with right. that as like entertainment being the center and then things working around. it. OK, how do I like. What does it like to yeah. flip this idea? Yeah. There's more restaurants now per capita than, than there's ever been in the world. And I think we're just diversifying. Like yeah. the, the yeah, definition sure. of a restaurant is getting very mixed and yeah. like muddy, right? So is it safe to say that so what was your frame of mind like when you're transitioning out of Kuwait, coming back stateside? Where are you now? Like as far as like what do I want to do? Yeah, that's a great question. I felt like I had a really strong resume at the time. Um, I think that I emotionally felt like I could take on anything, <laughs> although I wasn't ready to do so. Um, I wanted to continue this. And it, it felt only Why weren't right. you ready? I wasn't ready because I had very kind of niche experiences. It felt yeah. like. What made you think you were ready? You said that you were very confident. You thought you were ready. Why do you think that? Because I, I felt badass. It's like, uh, you know what <laughs> I mean? Here, like, yeah, like I'm 21. <laughs> I like, you know, I, I finished school. I, I'm out here, you know, I'm out here in Dubai. Yeah, it is badass. Um, you were badass. No, I, I was. <laughs> but like the, you know, the idea and the ego um, in comparison to like what my goals were and like how do I get better mm. as a man like not you don't just know like, what you don't know yeah, yeah for sure like i would just apply for managerial roles because i was like well and at the time so <laughs> while in kuwait i was promoted from supervisor to restaurant manager yeah. so i was really like digging myself yeah like i've reached the top yeah that's that's ex- <laughs> like li- like that's how it felt uh, there's nothing less left for me to learn right yeah so when but, did you when did you learn that there was, was a lot more <laughs> right? yeah. yeah um I was so at the time my my grandmother was passing um, in the Bronx and I was staying with her in and out of the hospital. Um, so I think like emotionally, I was like, okay, this is life. Like this is what happens. Like I'm I'm also, I also have a very like A type personality where it's just like um, I'm very realistic, you know. Um, and I I it, I fall short sometimes on like understanding what's actually happening with me or like taking a moment to really like assess, um, especially like emotionally and mentally. Um, so I took up this job at a um, at a Japanese restaurant, amazing in Soho, and um, on the Michelin Guide is like a, rec- a Michelin recommended restaurant, and they just ripped me a new one. Mm. I had a I had an interview with the chef. The interview went really well. I thought the money was good. They were willing to do part time because at the time I was finishing my uh, degree through Johnson and Wales online, um, and. They were just like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like, New York will do that to you. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I felt like, I just was like, oh, I'm going back home. I'm in control. I got this great job. Like, every like I, I just felt like I was on a So path. the year now is like 2014, 2015? Yeah. 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 
So not that long ago, like 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 eight years ago. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that is you know. Um, yeah. But what? So what? They said you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Um, paint that picture. So, I was I was supervisor, but this was like this was like a 15 seat restaurant. Yeah. Um, they offered omakase, but it wasn't an omakase restaurant, mm-hmm. and um, it was very personal and very detail orientated. Now. The, like for example the katsuya was like 150 seats I had I, I was that person that could like run circles around everyone else in a very like high volume format and to some degree that's what I have been doing so to like take something very intimate and very um, fragile and you know something like Japanese food where like it's very clean and you ha- like as a supervisor I should have been finding opportunities to make connections with guests and I was just kind of standing there like there's not a lot to do um so I was I ended up making like silly mistakes like so critiquing yourself knowing what you know now the woman you are now the profession you are now looking back at the 19 sorry this the 2015 uh version of yourself what what advice would you give yourself what would you tell yourself to do better I would have definitely took more time in the interview to find out what they expected of me. Mm. Um, now, whenever I interview someone, I ask them that question. Um, you know, I've, I've set the expectations that we have for you. What is it that you want to get out of this experience? And what, from, 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 from a managerial perspective, what do you expect out of me? What did they expect out of you? I think that they expected a lot more kind of like, passion maybe is the word and it wasn't that I wasn't passionate I was spreading myself too thin and I kind of looked at this like an easy opportunity to make money opposed to like like to get by and to make money while I'm like concentrating on school and while I'm doing these other things and it 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 shouldn't have been that well also the industry I think at that time if you get a job at a place like this they expect it to be your life yeah. And I think the industry also expected it to be your life, right. which is kind of back to what we, we started today's conversation. Maybe it was during the off air, but the bounce mm-hmm. and like, we'll get into that. We get into like you owning your first restaurant or your, or I shouldn't say restaurant, your, your bed and breakfast mm-hmm. um, and how that absorbed your whole life. And now you're trying to find better rounds. I'm feeling gaps. I'm making assumptions. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, but like, I think it was an issue with the industry too. You know, yeah, perhaps. Mm-hmm. who knows? New York's a crazy place, right? It is. Um, so this is this is was their expectation. What was your expectation? My expectation was to. I, I I felt like I was not putting myself out there enough. For some reason, I had like a wall up, and I think that my expectation was to like, again, kind of transact, like yeah. go in, be there for service, and be there to support the team, to you know support the service staff, and but not you weren't treating it like you owned it. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, any less like any any other lessons from this that we can pull that I'm not getting that you I should be getting? Um, not necessarily. I wasn't there for a very long time. I've realized that like this is not what I needed. It wasn't even on your resume or your your LinkedIn yeah, profile. See? You're like, eh, we don't need to leave this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll skip like, over this part. It was embarrassing. Yeah. It really, really was. How did it leave you better? It left me better because I looked at any other job as like an opportunity to be all in Mm. and like understand my why for being there Mm. and I think that the pressure of just like needing a job that fit my weird schedule um, 
was a priority opposed to like fully being there. Mm. The uh, culture, you know, like yeah. you got to like you're it has to be a match made in heaven sometimes yeah. really to excel. So be be selective. Yeah. Find find the restaurant that's right for you. Uh for sure. I I think that's great advice. Um so 2015, you find yourself at the Landford Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> you're there for a little bit, right? 2 years? I want to say uh, or maybe a little a little less. Okay. A little less. Um that was a very interesting project. So that was here in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my mentor and great friend working for the Lankford. Um, his name is Nick Scarnati. Okay. Um, he happens to still be in Miami and nice. like love him to death. What did Nick teach you? Nick taught me the importance of people. Mm. What I specifically? Needed, yeah, I the importance of one connecting with the team and like hiring folks that you love and like. So from a, from a perspective of like not so much the technical side but but hiring people that like you can see yourself having a good conversation with. with and yeah yeah just and this is, comes back to culture where like like when they hired you um at what was the name of the place that didn't work out for you in, in New, New York uh, Nemo like they like maybe they was it the wrong hire maybe like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Was, 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 was the right culture fit? Right. So the, is that kind of the same, along the same vibe? For sure. Or about, oh, it's the word I'm looking for. Vain is the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agreed. It definitely is like parallel to that idea. Yeah. Um, Nick was also like super organized. And I think that I'm a little bit of a free spirit at times. So like he kept things so tight and I admired that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still strive to like reach that level of organization. Um, he also kind of got me like excited about restaurants again, just like opening restaurants is like crazy. Yeah. It's openings are sick and I've done a lot of them. Yes. Well, it's a, it's a good point. Like running restaurants, maintaining a restaurant is a totally different piece from opening restaurants. Completely different. Um, both challenging. Yeah. But opening is really, really hard, but I like openings. Yeah. I liked openings because I liked developing and creating the systems and the the style and getting with chefs and like how do you you know what language do you want them to use and tasting those dishes and being able to create the um structure for like what everyone else is going is going to be taught like Mm -hmm. i i I think that i'm a teacher at heart and I, i i like you know openings for that reason what did you learn about openings like what to do what not to do Oh, that's. A, I'm still. I'm still. That's active. I'm still learning. <laughs> which which elements <laughs> are you feeling com- the most confident about? Interview. Nick taught me how to interview really well. What does a a well run interview look like? It looks like giving them the opportunity to speak about themselves. So I usually start my interviews with like, "Tell me a little bit about yourself," and mm. I think he taught me this. Just tell me a little about bit about yourself. I want to see if your response is like very personalized. Or professional. Mm. Like, I get a lot of folks that would just, like, literally read off their resume. And I'm like, well, I... Like, in my mind, I'm like, the okay. The answer that you're supposed to give versus the real answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are you looking for exactly? I'm looking for... you. I'm looking for goals. I'm looking for your passions. Um, I'm looking for what brings you here. Um, why you want to work here. Yeah. Opposed to somewhere else. So let's as talk well about, as, Yeah. Sorry, go well, ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, along with, like... 
what gets you excited? Like, what are your hobbies? Yeah. And what, so, like, who are you? Yeah. Why do yeah. goals matter? Who gives a fuck about where you're going? We're here to help us. I don't care about, like, why, why do your goals matter? Yeah. Why does it matter? Goals matter because sometimes I can help with those goals. I need to understand, like, how teachable you are as well as, like, what, your goals will determine what this opportunity means for you. Yeah. And if I know where you're going and if I can find a way to have you self-invested in what we're doing and create a win-win, you're much more likely to give up a fuck. For sure. Because you know, like, oh, like, I didn't know that this was where you wanted to end up. Like, I can put you on a path to get there. Exactly. And now you're going to show up totally different knowing that I'm going to help you get to where you're going. Yeah. Like, you know how many people are, like, artists and, like, digital artists, web design. I'm like, I'm looking for a web design. Yeah, meanwhile, you're spending (laughs) money on outsourcing that where you can, I mean, maybe you should still give that person that you hired that money, but at least you're keeping it in the house. At least that person's going to have a little more sense of, like, you give a fuck about me and, like, you're helping me out. Like, like that money's staying within your four walls. Sure, and not only that, from a business perspective, but if the person's goal is to, like, graduate this year... Okay, now I know to ask about school schedules. Yeah. How what is you know, how how are you planning your summer? Or are you going back home? Mm-hmm. Or things like that. So like not only from like a investment perspective, it's always about an investment, right? Like we're we're investing in this person. But now I now I I my next questions I can base off of what your goals are and you're gonna be not only honest about, you know, those those answers, but you're gonna be passionate about yeah, them. You know, yeah. like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm actually going away this time. Okay, now I would have maybe not gotten that information. Yeah. What about building processes and procedures? I think this is and if you if you wanna go if you want if you have a dream of opening your own restaurant, do exactly what Jamila did. Go work for other people doing it and like get that experience. Because like opening restaurants not the same as running restaurants. And I think you need a degree in both so what you <laughs> yeah, did is literally. perfect yeah so like talking about, about like developing systems and how you got to do that like dive into that i think so like what we sops uh operating procedures and things like that standard operating procedures that's probably the toughest thing to develop in a restaurant setting so where do people go wrong most of the time um so there's two there's two parts to training one is like the written SOP. These are the procedures. The second part is the real life interaction. There are way too many things that go wrong in a restaurant at any given time and not giving, not having the SOPs or the training reflect all, all of the fallback, you know, kind of like uh, options or, or, or yeah. things that people can rely on to happen is where you can go wrong. Like yeah. you can't teach how to... So, for example, like our host will take the water order and then it's the server's priority to get the water. Well, we'll have to serve at another table. Right. So what do you do? Like that's when the ball gets dropped because the host is like, I forgot to tell because something else came up and you got right. pulled away. Right. Yeah. So what's so the, the solution to that? The essays or the support team knows that they can jump in to do to do water. Backup plan. Redundancy. Yeah. 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 Building. And I think a lot of people get in trouble, too, because they... They put so much energy into developing systems and processes, procedures, protocols before they open. Mm-hmm. They're like, we got this locked down. Then they open and they're like, oh. Shit show. Yeah, this isn't <laughs> like they, they try too hard to get it right before yeah. they're ever open. Yeah. And they, you, I almost feel like you have to have like loose systems and then every day be like, okay, how can we do this better? How can we do this better? How can we do if If you try to get it perfect on day one, you're going to fail. You have no sure. idea how it's actually going to work. But this idea of like having like backup plans and having like a loose 
scenario is really hard to manage. Yeah. So how would you describe it? Um, I describe it as intuition, reading the guests, reading the room, Mm -hmm. um, building a team that's really unified where they're able to pick up on everyone, almost everyone's energy. Like it's really hard. Like I'll, I'll tell the host, for example, like how does this server look? They have to be intuitive enough to see that this person is sweating. Yeah. That this person is running around. That their other table hasn't gotten gotten something yet. Um, they can look at the the you know the drink tickets and like okay no this person's not let's not seat them this person's not good. Yeah. Without literally being like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, what you're describing right now is I think in some restaurants the a great host is has their thumb not just like on like the reservation book but like reading the room maybe this is the manager or the supervisor wherever you are but like it's you gotta have that person that's there just constantly reading the room literally the room where's who's looking around who's like who like and just go like don't wait for the server to get there like go put that fire out like someone's in the weeds go grab that tray from them take take that tray of dirty dishes off their hands like whatever you can do to help your guests and your team get out of the situation right right? absolutely like i and i love chatting about these types of things because it gives me like good feels and i get like i get like excited about like how a well-run a restaurant should operate and right now with Rosie's, we happen to be at this point where it's like we're diving deep into those super nerdy restaurant things. Yeah. Um, we're going to get there. Okay, I can't okay. wait. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm just looking at the time. I'm loving talking to you. We're already over an hour of recording time. It blows my mind how fast this goes sometimes. Um, anything we haven't talked about in your early career that you think is key or beneficial to the listeners? I don't want to sell you short. No, I mean, not, not at all. I, I think that like my love for culture has really like taken me outside of my comfort zone and to the point where I'm at. Like I am naturally an introvert and growing up I was super shy mm. and I was an I over- would never guess. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I was an overweight kid. So I really did use food as like medicine. Mm. Um, and I, I, I was able to take, what was seen as like negative parts of my personality and really just like dive deep into my passions um, to create the person that I am and to find a voice and to um, just respect food and, and try to teach others to respect food. There was a, um, my stepfather, he was having a really hard time professionally for a long time. And um, he was having kind of a, like a very frustrated day he was very frustrated and just was having like a really just like not great day and he said to me find whatever find one thing that you could do day in and day out and make that your career Mm. and that conversation is what took all those memories of admiring the server and trying to set the table for dinner and everything just kind of like flashed before me and I was like I could cook every Mm -hmm. single day and I could talk to awesome people every be single happy. day. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. and maybe that that ties into that first like quote that I was talking about. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like, find what's easy for you. We came full circle. And I love that. Yeah, I love I, it. I love a good perfect story. time. Perfect yeah. time to take our first break to take our sponsors. I'll be right back to talk about your first business. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. 
Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. Okay, we're back. Um, Where does it make sense to take us? I think that the Copper Door at this point would be a really good... And my relationship with Kino, perhaps, because that's kind of how the Copper Door started. So we met at Johnson & Wales. Okay. He was... We were in a class together. No, here, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, we both attended physical classes here. I was there for about a semester or so before I ended up moving overseas. Um, and then I took online classes. Got it. Yeah. And was it like a friendship at this point or was it? No, it was kind of like, you're super cute. Like, do you want, you know, <laughs> it was more like that. And we went out on a few dates and it was, um, that time was just like short lived. Um, but I had followed him on, on social media and things. So I knew that he, I went to, uh, Noma and that was just like, you know, that just gave me butterflies. And like, this dude is badass. Yeah. And um, then when I came back from the Middle East and came back to Miami, um, I just I'd love to get out. him on the show the next time we're in Miami. Yeah, by the way. I, I, yeah. I'm meaning to make that happen. Before we leave, you have to make sure that we connect so I can say, hey, officially, I would love to get you on the show. I already For told sure. you once that I would love to get him on the show, yeah. but we couldn't make it happen this time. But yeah. we're, we'll be back in Miami. And, you know, you're, you're man, you're we got a spot waiting for you. He's next. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and so, yeah, like we, we, we started dating again very lightly. And we just realized that we had like a um, very common interest. And to be honest, it's like hard to find. It was especially hard to find folks in Miami that like um, had similar experience as us and um, and could like talk all day about food and visit restaurants and um, just feel comfortable in that space. So it was like it was special when we were first dating. And yeah. um, when did you guys first start dating? Because you were business partners by 2018. Yeah, it was like it was like for a year and a half before we. So like 2016 is when you guys yeah. crossed paths. Yeah, the love's growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did the conversation of let's go into business together come into frame? So it was re- so it was really interesting. At the time, I was working like a few odd jobs. Like I was doing accounting for a tea company. I was doing. Um, I had landed a full time job, but then like I had another part time job. I was operating someone's Airbnbs, 
Now, I was exposed to Airbnb when um, when I was overseas. It was more popular overseas than it was here at first. But I had worked for a bed and breakfast as a CIA student in the Hudson Valley. So, and I remember being there and working and like feeling like I would love to do this. What What about it makes you love it? I loved the fact, I, and I had also like done a great deal of traveling. So I had stayed at bed and breakfasts. So I, this particular owner had his personal home and the bed and breakfast on the same plot of land. I was adjacent to like Vassar College and, and Marist in um, in Poughkeepsie, and um, I was like, this is so dope to like wake up every morning and have like farm fresh eggs and cook you know six people breakfast and like tell them where to go and then I felt like the opportunity gave a culinarian a lifestyle outside of like a crazy chaotic kitchen so I could just make what I want to make they're gonna eat it (laughs) you know it's kind of like it is what it is and I can be creative but like it just seemed like a kind of packaging that was like really homey and home style and i know I, I recently made this actually statement to, to sam um on my, my right hand man on the road uh who also is very deep into the hospitality industry so we have these a lot of behind the scenes conversations uh, that like the industry is going in a direction where it's much like you said much more transactional technology is kind of swelling up where it's like literally everything is a digital transaction yeah. you know there's no even face you don't even see your guest anymore it's right. just some person on the other side of this order and i don't even know where it's going yeah. and that part of it kind of sucks the soul out of it for me it's like i want to i want the cookie yeah of the the face the look on someone's face when they're leaving and they're so happy like yeah. that's what it's all about right, right, right. so it kind of soulless it's like i'm doing all this work and i don't get to enjoy the the the, the treat of knowing that i'm i'm being a, yeah. getting the approval of my guests sure right? the gratification like that's and that's the thing that like I feel like lends to like open kitchens right and yeah. that concept because mm-hmm. like when they are like literally in the back of the house they're you know they're they're just like cooking and churning out food and 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 uh you know sweating in really dangerous environments and they never get to hear like yeah. that was great and that's why i like the the bed and breakfast side of things because it's like we're feeding people but also like you're not like a ghost like like a ghost kitchen you right. know like you're right. You're in my home. Right. You know, you're with me. It's personal. You're traveling. You're staying here. You're not leaving. There's a catch-22 to that. I'm sure there is. (laughs) Pros and cons and everything, I'm sure. Yeah. To the same, like, when we opened the copper door, a lot of those things ended up being the challenge. So before we get into, like, the challenges, let's talk about actually getting open. Yeah. The experiences, like, that you learned, the lessons you can share, pay forward Mm -hmm. to the listeners. So So, what was that like? Like, you guys made the decision we want to do a bed and breakfast i have this experience take it from there so we we needed funding mm-hmm. and we needed a location how'd you get the money so at first i looked to banks not soon enough did i realize that they weren't going to give us any money because we didn't have any history well the two of you didn't have any i mean he was at noma i mean not any uh business history yeah so like it was interesting because like we were pitched like a lot of like minority small business opportunities loans da, 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 but it all hap- it all funneled through a bank and the banks needed at least two years of history Being so in if business. you're yeah isn't so that it, kind of ironic yes or not what's the word i don't even know ironic it's is the super word. ironic because it, it? it would be like a loan for a startup but you have to exist for at least two years yeah <laughs> it's not until now that the idea of like funding for a startup means like you have not like you need this to even get going but I'm only seeing that now. Um, back when we opened in, what was it? Twi- uh, yeah, 2018. Yeah. That, um, it didn't exist. So prior to that, 
I had a moment where I woke up one morning, like almost in tears. Like I just like I, I I've been sleeping for six hours and I'm still so tired. And I was do- I, I was- need at least eight. I don't know how you're doing yeah. six. I'm, I'm horrible. Sorry. Keep going. I was managing someone else's Airbnbs at the time in Fort Lauderdale. And Kino was just like, why don't we do our own? So we actually started our entrepreneurial journey with a Airbnb vacation rental. It's now our personal home, but we bought a four bedroom, two bath. And in that transaction as well, it was like, where, we don't have, like, where do we get the money for this? So we negotiated with the uh, previous homeowner to leave it furnished for a price that made sense for us. So we literally, it was comical, at closing, we got our first booking on Airbnb and we were able to actually fulfill it. Um, so we leveraged, to your point, our weakness, what we didn't have. We didn't have money to purchase the property and have furniture and all the fixings that you need for an Airbnb. We leveraged that in our negotiation process so that it included the things that we didn't have. Mm. But um, this Airbnb isn't the bed and breakfast. No, it's not. But it, it, is it giving you the... Um, the track record of being an owner that the banks are looking for? It did, absolutely. And that's kind of how we created our partnership with the Copper Door. So we um, negotiated a very similar deal. We ended up partnering with the landlord um, to be our funder. And again, we asked for a fully furnished space. We realized that that was the asset that had longevity that someone was willing to either give or give up that would set us up for success. Say that one more time because I'm not sure if I'm picking up. Yeah, so we, we... the landlord so okay our bed and breakfast we actually rented the space and it's not it wasn't a typical bed and breakfast it was a building that had 22 guest rooms now a typical bed and breakfast has like no more than eight (laughs) so this is this is technically yeah this is technically like a boutique hotel got it um we levered because we we still were not able to get a bank you didn't own the building yeah or the you own the business you didn't own the building correct or any of the assets inside the building correct at, at least at first, right. at the day one. Right, right, right. Um, so we used a similar idea to create the, that partnership. Um, so you were going to go in as the operating partners, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you, like the Swequity and the... So you own the brand. Yeah. You don't own the building, but the property. Correct. Um, and so you didn't need the loans because you're getting the money from... So yeah, I mean, I think this is... when you, If you're young, this is the best way, I think. Go hustle. Use, use your your experience to negotiate somebody who has the assets and be right. like, you have the assets. I'm sure you don't want to be here all the time. We do. Yeah. We're, we're young. We're hungry. We have energy. We're going to hustle. Be our track record. Help us get started. Partnerships. Exactly. Yeah. So that was how like I, I did my first projections. I did first business deck um, was to was to pitch the concept that didn't exist. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so you you find your person that to take a, a risk on you guys to partner with you, mm-hmm. right? Um, how'd it go? It went really well. Yeah. Um, it was extremely challenging. We lived on site at the time, um, operating something that. Well, that's another great thing. Like, what are you? How far are you willing to do? How like liabilities to get people in trouble? How how can you strip every liability in your life to make your personal liabilities as close to zero as possible? Yep. Live at the place, be there. Like like you saved your own rent, you yeah. know. Like yeah, yeah, sorry sure. to cut you short. Keep going. No, no, yeah. you're absolutely right. I think that it was a 
it was an important step for the business. It was very hard on our relationship. It was yeah. very hard on our personal lives. You knew that question was coming. Yeah, you? It's, yeah. It, it goes hand in hand. Um, but we really did sacrifice. We sacrificed really, really hard to make that work. And um, what my takeaway was, was, along with some like design knowledge and like just an idea of what I wanted the experience to look like from an aesthetic perspective, along with just like really leaning on our hospitality um and then the food um it made for a really great experience and the the in a city where this experience does not exist anywhere else yeah um initially we thought we were gonna get like the cool millennials young professionals like you know it's just like it'd be a very cool concept and business had a different plan for us we ended up so we were on the same business same sh- had a different plan for us. Yeah. Whose business? The actual business? Yeah. 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 Literally. Okay. So yeah. like our demographic became cruise goers and we didn't even realize it. Mm. We didn't, we didn't realize that that was going to be the demographic. Um, and we didn't necessarily anchor our business to achieve yeah. that demographic. It sucks when you can't choose your guests. So. <laughs> yeah. To like, get out of here. We didn't want you to stay, <laughs> but I could, we, we literally, yeah. the, the, the business couldn't have worked. Yeah wouldn't have been successful without that demographic mm, why is that because we were so close to the cruise port our Take the picture point, of where you were yeah like you're in miami yeah. not miami beach right but we're like over the, the bridge on the mainland yep we're yeah. in the city of miami we're in overtown um so we're on the corner of like right downtown. next to a bridge like literally, literally they, they dump out to you yep yeah. li- like along i-95 yeah. um in a very impoverished community. Like we were across the street from projects. Um, It was a very green space and we relied on the history of the neighborhood and of the entrepreneurship actually in the building. So the building was built in the uh, 20s, pardon me. Um, And it had been ran and operated by a black family for many years um and literally the family sold the building to our landlord okay so we were able to leverage the concept um with storytelling storytelling of the history of overtown um which was a bustling um neighborhood for black owned businesses and for music and entertainment and jazz and it's kind of known loosely as the harlem of the south so we were able to tell that story and like to hold on to a historical component along with the black entrepreneurship component and the familial component with our personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what gave it like a little bit of edge for like a media perspective. Yeah. Um, but when it came to like dollars and cents and like bookings and, and being sold out, like the cruise goers, they would book the day before their... Uh, Day. Yeah, before before their like boat would would depart, and then they would book the following week when it returned. So it it was it was a very good business model to pitch to them and to like be attractive to them because the price point was middle of the ground. Uh, the atmosphere, the actual environment, and the location was sometimes a really hard pitch. Like I I, I had like many difficult <laughs> moments where you know I'd have to like open the door and be at the front and like help them with their bags and like just be very like explosively hospitable um because it would be late at night or because there weren't you know the street lighting was not like great or there just wasn't a lot going on and there many times where you know we'd have guests that were kind of put off and let me see the room first and things like that and um so it, it, it was a tough sell at times um but 
again that hospitality and that like intimacy that you know we would we would show show the room to our guests each room was individually designed and like yeah. different you guys um, got some great press you got some great yeah, media. yeah. Great things were said about you for the food especially and then yeah the icing on top would be the following morning mm. with breakfast and it would just like blow everyone's mind and it was like okay so you turned I had people a great around. time yeah it, it turned people how old around were you when you opened in that 2018 25. And how 24, old was Aquino? Same, yeah, same. Does he go by Kino or Aquino? Should I say Kino? Either. Okay. Honestly, I, I feel like, like I'm not close enough with them. Do okay. these names yet. I'll <laughs> go with Aquino. It's just a Chef syllable Aquino. and a letter yeah. of her. Yeah, yeah. Does he prefer Chef West? Oh, God. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Chef he's, West. He's a chef. Like chef whatever. West. How dare I use the first name? Sorry. <laughs> chef West. No, so, please. Kino's fine. I'm joking with you. But of course, his ego would like love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can do Chef West for sure. Um, so, I totally lost my train of thought. But, um, so, you guys would win him over, basically. Yeah. I think it's important. Like, is he, you guys around the same age? Yeah, we're six months apart, actually. You know, young He's people, older. like, you're getting, I, I just love the hustle, putting yourselves out there, taking the risk. And um, sometimes, like, you're, you're working with what you can get, you know? Is, was that location your dream location? Was it your, no. Like, Not at all. It's what you could do with what you have, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And we all have to start somewhere. And mm-hmm. I think that energy of just, you know, making the best of, out of what you have and, and like maybe at first encounter, like this isn't what your guests were expecting. Can I see the room first and all this stuff that you're mentioning? Right. But like, you can write the end of the story. Yeah. Agreed completely. Yeah. And like, I feel like what we, like, I used to tell people that's badass. That, by the way, oh, owning a, a bed and breakfast at the age of twenty-five in Miami, <laughs> you're a badass. Thank both you. of you appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah, like I, I, I tell a lot of folks that like we had an idea in our mind of what we wanted this to look like, as many entrepreneurs do, right? Like yeah. we we visualize and we see what the opportunity is, and I've let go of that a lot. And like in the case of the um, the copper door, it told us how things should move and and how the model should be you know like so knowing what you know after going through this experience and and they always say hindsight's 2020 mm-hmm. would you have done anything different would you have gotten involved do you have no regrets i really don't i Why? really don't because it was it was honestly like my dream um coming to life and so i could i i could never regret that i think maybe one of the Again, the challenge was really like how hard it was on our relationship. Like we had given up being in a home. We have two dogs. We ha- they lived living with- in your in your hotel room. No, so we gave we literally oh. gave them up. Like they, they yeah, and yeah, tough. like we um, sacrificed. Yeah, we asked asked his mom to take care of them, and we didn't have them for like a year. Wow. Um, do they ever treat you the same, or do they were like no? Exactly the same. <laughs> no, they were. Oh my god, I would How dare die. You do this I to us. know, I know. They yeah, they they were so chill. Yeah so chill and now that like we've spent as many years as we have with them like literally yeah. by our side i can't uh, believe that we They're probably afraid to let you out of their side that. again oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> so business lessons um what were the biggest business lessons during this two year it was a two-year run correct yeah. 2020 well when did you Almost was it three. the pandemic that basically yeah i'm assuming for sure because i we don't want to talk a, a lot about the pandemic but like yeah i'm sure it plays a role in the it story. does um yeah we were at like the peak of business so like, how were things how did things grow from that two year how how did you evolve how did you get better what were the lessons that you can pay for so one we're restaurant folks that opened up a hotel yeah. so like yeah, we're, well, yeah. <laughs> never worked front that. desk yeah. so a lot of it a lot of lessons were like very technical yeah. in, in that space and like just how do we do how do yeah. we manage Logistics this behind a hotel yeah um but I think that like it started my career as a businesswoman. 
understanding numbers, understanding metrics, um, understanding what PR is capable of. Like we didn't have any. And then like when the pandemic hit, we ended up applying for like uh, pro bono services. And I saw the difference from having PR versus not having PR. Yeah. I, I can't argue the power of PR in this industry, but I also think that it's a double-edged sword. It, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I literally like had like a shower conversation with Kino recently. Like, do you realize that you're now a public figure? Like right. everything that you say and yeah. do is like on the. Well, platter. also, it's gone to the point where this dog is. There's a dog over your shoulder that just saw the cat. Oh yeah, I see. I see the, the intensity of his <laughs> yeah, eyes. Sorry, it's hard not. Hopefully, this does not end poorly. <laughs> He is he's, he's locked it. in. Yeah. He's locked in. Sorry. I mean, I don't think we got this on video, but if if, if we did, you guys would be in for a treat right he's now. For a treat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, okay. What, what was I saying before? The dog and cat totally derailed me. <laughs> Do you remember where, where I was going? We, um, uh, oh, gosh, oh PR. Yes. I How it's a double-edged sword. Yep. I don't think. I think it's an issue that if you don't have PR, you yeah. can't be successful. It's... Uh, and it's not cheap. It's hard to not be able to defend that. Yeah, it's 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 not cheap, and, and it's also, weird for our business as well. It, we don't control the narrative of our industry. Yeah, the publicists and the major outlets, media outlets, control the narrative completely. And it's all about the relationships between the publicists and the media outlets. Yeah. And if you can't get into that circle, kind of fucked. You're kind of fucked. I I literally and I, I have don't like, like it. I it's not my job to tell people what it is. My job. To tell people how to be successful, but it's also my job, my job to transform the industry, and I think I need to. I think what, what's going through your mind? You're as I'm up against, yeah, like you're definitely challenge up against the a, status quo. Yeah, I think that one. This is like new to our industry, right? Like for a restaurant to have PR, like for what, like it will make or break you, and I, now just like social media will make or break you, and I think the fact that it's true is a problem. Yeah, I mean, like the fact that chefs are now seen as celebrities is very new to our our industry it was never like that like you had great chefs and you heard about great restaurants through people now that the idea of being a chef is is, is uh glamorized opens up this new it it, it can be very good for business um I had a very good conversation with someone back at the Copper Door who was like, who was like in Bon Appetit and like Vogue and like just doing really big things. And I was really proud of this person. And he told me to tell, like, his advice was to tell the writer that, like, what you want them to write about, and just like really to control the narrative. To your point, um, our PR team, we've chosen them through um, this this grant that we won to utilize their services and we've continued to use them now and they've always been very like i'm going to listen what is your story yeah they've always kind of been that way so i trust them to some degree um but also i like i'm very infiltrated in terms of like what gets written who does the right where this is published and like yeah but they also feed into the the popular the popular narrative yeah. and it's just like can we just be yeah they give we, they, they definitely like pitch me bullshit sometimes and i'm like, like this what? is not us guys i don't know like a valentine cookie recipes like i don't know like you know what i mean like <laughs> just yeah. like so just like well this is kind of not i'm like i really don't care you know like, it's not us what what's steering their shit yeah like what's hot what, what determines I, what's hot 
TikTok? I don't know. Like the and people. You, I think you you're exactly I mean? right. And you're putting the words into my mouth, and I say this shit all the time, and I'm like, social media and PR and major mainstream media is steering the fucking ship. Yeah. We are like monkeys just <laughs> dancing along to yeah. like what we have to do, and I don't want my fucking life to be led and driven by a fucking algorithm. It's right. so annoying. Yeah. And I think that it's a real problem that we all can just kind of be like, but this is what we have to do. Yeah. And, I, and do you have to do it? Yes. I'm not arguing that. To be to a to, level, to, you have to do yeah, the dance. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 there's, there's, there is a dance you have to do, but I think we should be very aware of what's happening. Agreed, completely. Because yeah. I do, I do get a lot of like BS stuff, or like I, I, I have many conversations with PR about like the narrative, even the idea of like Kino being a black chef. We like, are slaves to the fucking like the 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 the, the narrative. We yeah. really are. We have to go along with it. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. It's very annoying, but I think that if you steer the ship, if, if you if you if you know that you have to have yeah. control and power, it definitely gets easier. I think for someone that like doesn't realize that this is happening, you like turn around and you're like, "What the like? Yeah. Why? Like what? You know, like what happened? Or why? Why is this now my restaurant? And I yeah. never intended it to be. Yeah. So I think as long as like we're super aware, um, and we stay it's, true to it's like the tail wagging the dog. It, it is. Yeah. It is. And I think that me, like, I'm a big, like, I don't want things to be corny. I don't want things to get, like, tired. Like, even the idea of us having, like, chicken and waffles on the menu, like, it's a little uncomfortable for me. I hate the idea. Right. I don't think that it's a so great that's not dish. your choice? No. <laughs> not at all. I don't need to go any further. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. Other lessons from this experience before we move on to what's crushing it now, Rosie's. Yeah. Um... No, I mean, like, I think the Copper Door has always been, like, very foundational to our success. So, like, I love telling that story. It means a lot to us. So, you um, closed. Yeah. So, we, we <laughs> yeah, we opened. So, we closed Whoa. in 2020. I'm oh in, I am in Florida. Yes, you are. <laughs> the reptiles are out. I think out. we got that on camera. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, run it. Full. <laughs> yeah. I thought that sprint. was a cat at first. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah, welcome. Okay. Welcome yeah, thank to you. my yeah. My ADD is on fire today. <laughs> Keep going. Um I forget what I was saying. Oh, oh my gosh. um the how Oh like yeah, it closed. so it yeah. closed. Yeah. So we were operating actually simultaneously for about a year, the Copper Door and Rosie's. Mm-hmm. So we were still taking in guests. Some were still like out at sea asking us to hold their rooms. Um we had to technically close, but then, like, over the summertime, things had opened up a little bit here in Miami, at least. Um, so, I, as Rosie started to develop, I was comparing it a lot to having, like, two children. And, like, one is not really reacting and it's kind of, you know, just kind of moving at a slow pace and you're, like, really concerned. And the other one is just, like, running around, going crazy, hyperactive, and, like, having to manage both of those businesses simultaneously in that way as they just like naturally were was really interesting yeah it sounds like rosie's is probably more like what is appropriate for the two of you too it's more aligned through dna yeah for sure it, yeah as much as i love the copper door and i was very ready to so you like had two going at once yeah yeah how long was that overlap for about a year so about rosie's year. opened 2020 got it um april of 2020 and we closed the copper door, yeah, August of 2021. August 2021, so two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so you've been Rosie's been going three years solid now, huh? Yeah. That's wild. I thought I was shorter than that for some reason. Um, so ultimately, what was it that made you make the decision to put all of your focus in, into one thing? One because the bed and breakfast wasn't getting any busier. Yeah, was it profitable? It well, one, before the pandemic, it was. Yeah. We were literally about how well to take off. How, how well is it going? It, it very well to the point where we were ready to like reinvest and like create an even better experience like the idea was always actually for rosie's to be um a brick and mortar within the building to facilitate the breakfast for guests because we were we were um what's the word we were like too busy for the space that we were using in the in a residential kitchen okay um so it was the idea that we would offer more dining services potentially have like a late night bar we were ready to invest in like upgrading some of the rooms a bit and just like really just leveling up the whole experience um we had one more hoorah before season any business in miami knows there's there's season is very important it's a very seasonal city so ultra uh, music festival is the last kind of like hoorah of, of season and once ultra got canceled all hell broke loose oh man and all the money people must have put in to get ready for that and invest like it was sick yeah. and all the money that we because we knew after being in um in operations for a year or so we knew that we had to gather up all our acorns during the winter because like summer is coming <laughs> like if we like that's the idea is that you do all of your business during the winter months in order to sustain for summer and once we had like blown through all of that revenue from winter it was like Okay, we gotta like take another look at this. Meanwhile, Rosie's is just like going, going, yeah. going. Yeah. So that that was kind of that moment where it's like the numbers weren't making so much sense, and the copper door kind of became like a little bit of a burden at that point because it was like we want to stay alive, we want to stay open, and like we were we were there for our guests, but not in the same way that we were before the pandemic and before we had rosies and it was like okay our energy has to shift in one direction because trying to spread it out yeah. was weird yeah um so yeah then at, th- at that point it was like okay rosies needs a home rosies needs more seats i mean we had 30 seats so is rosies always here or no okay that's that's my <laughs> mis- i was a- like i don't know how did they complimenting each other it's so far away okay so you had rosies was was it adjacent so what happened was is a very casual conversation and someone had like suggested like you guys should start cooking just like just cooking food to like get past this point so rosie's was created to be a pop-up okay um the idea was that best we, way to, pe- to test a concept yeah, yeah so i agree completely yeah. for anyone like interested yeah. so we honed in on breakfast because we still had guests coming and in you're and using out. the hotel we used a the a carport that was like adjacent to the hotel is not even a parking lot like literally like a long driveway yeah and we created um outdoor seating like a dining room Did out you of permits that. For that. No, and it was it was it was it was like <laughs> pandemic time. Like no one cared. Yeah, no one cared. Like no one cared. Yeah. We invested in a. We ended up getting a grant, and we invested in a food trailer. Nice. So we were able to expand the kitchen. Essentially, it was just an outdoor kitchen. Yeah. Um, but at the time, you couldn't have indoor seating. Yeah. So we had thirty seats and this like food trailer, and we were plating on plateware which you're also not supposed to do <laughs> and we were trying to create an experience that was as like why pandemic are you supposed friendly. to do that was a, a, a legal yeah like i think like to your point like with the permitting and stuff like it's you should cleaning have cleaning afterwards you should have yeah. paid it should be disposable yeah. Yeah. or whatever yeah. um but the food lended to something a little better yeah um and 
we'd use QR code style ordering um, to keep it friendly for the times. Efficient. And, yeah, and efficient. And um, like six months later, there was a, 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 a line for a table. You and know? When, when is this? Like mid, like late 2020? Yeah. Late 2020? Yeah. So you guys are starting to see like, okay, we got something here. Mm-hmm. Maybe it makes sense to redirect our focus. Yep. So how did you, how did you tr- transition away from uh, the B&B? Copper door. It was tough um, because technically, like, our lease wasn't up yet. Yeah, how did that go? <laughs> well, I mean, I, there should have been some type of understanding considering everything. You're in the ho- you're in the hospitality industry. Yeah. People aren't traveling. Well, it, maybe Florida they are still. I think I had to, like, I really did have to, like, guys, let's look at the numbers. Yeah. Like, you know, I just had to be, like, realistic about what, what was going on. And um, and they agreed that like it made sense. They they agreed that it made sense. So we who, who are the guys? Uh, sorry, the landlords at the time. Got it. Yeah. Um. So we decided to part ways. And was um, it cordial? Yeah, it Good. was. It was. Um, Don't burn bridges in this industry. No, will I will come back to bite you. Nah, no, no, never. Yeah. And this city is way too small. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it was cordial, and um, the transition was. It was. As smooth as it could be. It took place during the summertime, which was, like, good on business because there's just, the volume's just not the same. Um, we were lo- actively looking for a space for Rosie's. And um, we came across this neighborhood and really wanted to be a part of it. And so in the interim, we, like, took over a cafe space um, on Northwest 7th Avenue. And it's literally, like, between here and Overtown. Um, and so we were there for about a year or so. And then um, decided to move into this space, which actually is another temporary space. So what was the re- so you, the cool thing about with, with pop ups though? I feel like if they start with legs, you know, you can kind of stay. Yeah. If you build it to be something that's mobile and that can tra- travel well, then it, it's it provides opportunity to grow. Kind of like the idea, like if you're if you're moving into a brick and mortar right and if you're starting with a brick and mortar you start small yeah. if you're starting in a, a place that has lateral the potential for lateral growth i.e blow out a wall take over that business with time and then maybe you just like as you as business picks up you can slowly swell into the space around you right. the cool thing with a pop-up is you can literally pick up and move to a new space as business grows and that people can travel with you. And everyone understands. Because you, you're using your digital presence to maintain the relationships and saying, hey, we're here now. Yeah. Hey, we this isn't doing, like, let's go to a bigger space. So it creates that that mobility and that um, malleability in scale. Sure. And, like, cool. it, it isn't until recently that we kind of stopped using that word that language pop-up. Yeah. Um, one, because we wanted yeah. to create a little bit more structure. A big boy and girl restaurant yeah yeah congratulations <laughs> <laughs> yeah like we we offer you know spirits and wine and beer here yeah. as opposed to we start off with byov yeah. um so but yeah start where you can you yeah, know that, and scale into it that's it people get in so much trouble having a vision i think it's important to have a vision you don't achieve that vision on day one that's the goal <laughs> and it, it, yeah. it, it can't suck your soul that it's not because li- like literally like your your the the beautiful mood board is like awesome and you should never get rid of that but also unless you have like big big wallets don't shy away from starting off with like the c version of that mood board and going through the phase of b then to get to a so i mean i'm obviously doing a little research i only give myself an hour before every episode to do the research because i really don't want to i don't want to 
if, if I make assumptions, I steer the conversation. I rather just have an idea of who I'm talking sure. to and listen and, and stay curious and pull back layers as I go. This is my research. Love pretty it. much. Yeah. So three days a week you're open. At the moment, yes. Yeah. Um, how are you staying? I mean, <laughs> do are you able to stay profitable with that? Like, like what is? How do you stay open for three days a week? You're doing brunch only, nine a.m. to three p.m. Mm-hmm. Friday through Sunday. Yeah. Can we talk about the economics of this? Yeah. Like, are you willing? Like, are you able to talk? Are you willing to talk about num- yeah, numbers? Yeah, like, get sure. into it. So we opened at the peak of summer yeah. in Miami, which was not smart. We've moved the concept. Now why twice. wasn't that smart? Uh, because so during, so the reason why summer is a slower season is one because the temperature is hottest, it's <laughs> hot as hell. Yeah. It's also hurricane yeah. season. Yep. It's super Dangerous. muggy. Yep. Like around sixty percent of the population decides to vacation or live elsewhere during this time frame. Yeah. Um. So the vol- the literal physical people are not there from a staffing perspective and from a guest perspective. Um. But we felt a lot of pressure to kind of start making money again, even if it even if it was a little bit. And but it's also a it can be an ideal time to iron out kinks because mm-hmm. you're not like pedal to the metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine your overhead's much lower with a concept like this. You're outside. Yes. You know, I'm assuming a patio is less expensive than a full. Correct me if I'm. I don't know. Yeah, you're the expert. Tell so, me. Yes and no. One because we're in the, because we're outside. Yeah. A lo, like a lot of our businesses dependent upon Mother Nature, which is really scary. Sometimes you get lizards and cats <laughs> running through your dining room, right? Or <laughs> tropical storms, yeah. um, which happened to us the second yeah. week of being open, and we had to take out the entire weekend. Yeah. Um, but also like with what's happening with like team shortages and things like that, it. Also puts a lot of pressure on us to make sure that those three days are really worthwhile. Mm. Um, we started off with four and realized that being open on Thursdays was like a wash. Mm-hmm. So we narrowed it down to three. Yeah. Um, and, what, sorry. Yeah. No. And I'll be honest with you. Like the economics right now for three days a week, it's okay. But it's not where we need to be, um, which is exciting because we're going to be open for more dinner services and more evening services to add on those days of the week. Are you further out of the city, the center of the city than you've ever been? Yes. Cause you said you're As in the concept. middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's, what is it about this space versus your last space that made you make the move from an economical perspective? That's a lot more residential here. So there's a lot and there's a, the work so there's not a lot of like working professionals in overhead. this area um from an overhead perspective again we've like kind of partnered with the with the landlords a little bit um so that overhead costs are low um mm. but food costs are rising so it's a tough so your dance. overhead is lower because you're further away from the city i'm assuming that helps um is it is a is a footprint as big or bigger the footprint is definitely bigger. We doubled our seat count. So now you have, so the volume is huge, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, we went from 30 seats to 70 seats to now 90. Nice. <laughs> nice. But it's good. The cool thing, like again, with, with pop-ups is as you're building momentum, you can bring your people with you to new spaces. Right. And I love right. that. For sure. Um, you're starting to talk about the community as far as like uh, working professionals. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sorry. Well, no, it's just um, lunch is tough 
because of the lack of that, we're just now seeing afternoon, like Friday afternoons picking up and weekday, you know, what a weekday afternoon looks like here. Um, but it's also the peak of, of season. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of folks out and about. So what was the strategy with moving into the, the location you're in now? What, what were you yeah. thinking? So the strategy was that this would be a temporary space. Um, literally on the opposite side of this fence, there's a lot that we're building a restaurant out of that will have the facade and look and feel of a home yeah um so it pays a little bit of homage to the copper door it um also respects the neighborhood and the residential in what way? feeling that we're in um just the fact that it's a house the the shape and the bones of the structure will be like a home um opposed to like a building and like a box just like restaurant yeah um so it will have a front yard it will have a backyard things like that are you projecting um the growth of this community yeah for sure. Um, there's a lot of big plans. So the the landlord of this project, it's called Little River. They own about 10 blocks by 10 blocks of space. So eventually there will be um, condos and a hotel and more F&B options. Um, I think you're so smart to, to move away from the city and to go into a, com- a community that is maybe doesn't have the same amount of competition where if you're closer yeah. i mean i don't know this i don't know this area i don't know the community is there as much competition here versus other places you could go not as much at the moment but there's also like a synergy because we're kind of a part of a bigger plan if you will what is that plan so like like the hotel oh, that's um, right, that's more right. yeah more f&b options so do you have business partners that are, you're strategizing with no oh. <laughs> i wish i did though so what's this, who's who's running this who's got the plan what's the plan is it just a community um, plan uh, no, so like the the landlord of the space. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Got it, got um, it. They're kind of creating the infrastructure. They're very particular about who their tenants are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but it it it, it I be, it has a good feel at the moment. Very creative. Um, folks that take over these spaces. Um, an emphasis on kind of like tropical and and uh, again kind of like a homey South Florida feel. Um, everything from like the florist to like some of the interior designer. Um, tenants that are in the space like there's there's a really cool aspect to the tenants that occupy the spaces in this this uh project <laughs> awesome um so i mean i'm look i can't believe how fast time's going right now i just look down we've been going for almost uh, an hour two hours now sure. an hour and 46 minutes it's been crazy how fast i don't want to cut you short i, I want to make sure is there anything we haven't discussed or any unique Advice. I do want to get your advice for working with your your business and life partner. Yeah, I was gonna. I I definitely think that that's like an interesting topic. I also feel like as a businesswoman, my position has changed through not only businesses but like iterations of Rosie's. Um, it's been really cool, and I see myself kind of like as the coach, where Aquino is the talent, like he's the player. Um, I'm not so involved in day-to-day operations as I originally was. I'm kind of more, um, I've taken a back seat from that, not only to do other things in my personal life, but also to like, again, kind of steer the ship in a way that I feel like Rosie's needs to go. Like, I have no idea what my title is anymore. (laughs) I don't even think it really matters, but, um, I'm able to make smart decisions, whether that's financial or from a marketing perspective that um, gets us to reaching the goal um, for Rosie's, you know. What is the goal for Rosie's? The goal for Rosie's is to have a dinner-driven concept, which is completely opposite than what we do, Mm -hmm. which um, 
lends a little bit to your question about like how business works, especially for a brunch menu. As we all know, like I think chefs, brunch is hot right now. You know, br- you got, if you can do brunch, if you're crushing brunch, like own it. But you know, you know how hard brunch is. Everyone like. There are very few chefs or... Uh, how many people are open only for it? Agreed. So know your niche. Put all of your energy into doing one thing really well. And I know you maybe want to evolve beyond this. But yeah. I think there's something to be said about knowing your lane, staying in it, and being known for one thing. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think that there may even be like a spinoff of It's aftermath that. for most people. Yeah. You know, like they're like, oh, we have the space. We might as well open for brunch. Where you're like, fuck, like make, making this the aftermath. Like this is, let's put all our energy into doing one thing. Am I wrong in saying, is that? No. I kind I, of assume that's what was going on here. You're definitely right. I think that from a, from like Rosie's storytelling perspective, we've kind of been cornered into brunch because of the bed and breakfast, and it isn't what Kino's really passionate did your, about. Did your publicist push you in this direction? By any chance? <laughs> no. Okay, good. I'm happy to hear that. Kudos to them. <laughs> Honestly, they're yeah. great. Um, so the, you know, there's a certain level of creativity that is hard to to meet with. You know, the brunch space margins are also a lot you know tougher and and slimmer with brunch um it's true breakfast isn't yeah it's tough yeah it's very very tough Mm -hmm. so like i hear what you're saying and i think that there is a place for it um but when it comes to like i was surprised tell me when i'm wrong because i don't like no i I mean i don't want to i don't want to make assumptions from a business perspective brunch is very tough yeah also because like we're trying to create elevated experiences um from all ends from beverage to you know to to the dining room and um when you get folks that can make double at night opposed to day and they have to wake up early well that's a big part of it is (laughs) like is it good for everybody yeah you're gonna attract the people you need yeah Yeah. it's hard and that that's been like a that's been a a difficult road to travel Mm -hmm. um so we're still like finding those folks and and looking for those folks so two nuggets on how to balance your life business partner and like uh life partner advice on that I don't know if I'm the right one. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but but I will say through through actively living this life, yeah. um, creating space is really important. Um, I I do side stuff all the time now, um, and this is recent. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about being only open for three days is it lets you diversify your channels of revenue. Yeah. I don't know if that's like what else is going on. Absolutely. Like for our home life and like wanting to like personally wanting to diversify. Um, in terms of investments, in terms of passions, um, in terms of just like projects, that's given us time and space to do it. Um, right now, Rosie's like, Kino works every single day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I feel like even that space that I take to like cook something different, to be around other people that are outside of this industry, like literally diversifying my personal life, not only from like a professional perspective, but from a like social perspective has been really helpful. Um, Cause I can share other stories with him that, yeah. you know, aren't revolving around food and service. Yeah. Um, I also think that like understanding each other's roles would be the other nugget. Yeah. So get like any partnership, having a lane, staying in it. Yeah. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Knowing what you're good at, honing in on that, and not only relying on the other person to fill in those gaps, but deciding like, okay, you have this on your plate already. Let's hire for this. Yeah. Like, even though he or I may be 
able to do whatever that whatever that void Are is. Are the right person? To do yeah, getting getting the right like cre- again creating outsourcing is huge, and we live in a world where there's more options to outsource than ever before. Yeah. and that's a cool thing. Like I think we're we as a species are designed to to plug a hole mm-hmm. like as an individual like there's a collective usually a group of people that were a part of our our tribe our village or whatever it is right. and collectively we're stronger yeah. but but we're stronger by staying in our lane and <laughs> buying providing that value but in a world in such a diverse world of specialties and services mm-hmm. and there's so much opportunity for people and people are trying to build businesses around just doing their, their one thing really well and right. being of value to others absolutely. and thinking that way absolutely yeah. I, I i'm like i'm all for that right now so it's been really interesting to like curate my role and and, and my job and again kind of doing the things that are easy for me and enjoyable for me to do yeah. and allowing him to have that space to do the same for himself yeah. I've loved this conversation. We do have to think about wrapping it up and going to the speed round. But before we do, again, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed over the years? Who were you today versus the woman you were when you got started with this? I think that I've transformed into definitely being more business savvy. Yeah. Um, like I feel like I, I, I can have conversations. Less leading with the heart, more leading with the mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and fine-tuning that. Um, also just like I've transitioned into empowering others, Hmm. um, and really being focused on like helping other people reach their goals, Hmm. um, which has been cool. And I, I really dig that. Like I, I I like doing that. I like sharing my experiences to, to, to assist with others' success. Um, do you have more? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> along this va- this vein of inspiring, empowering, transforming, right? Um, transforming the industry. Where's the industry today? And what do you think needs to transform? What, ne- what mm. needs to change about the industry? Yeah, great question. I definitely would love to see more of an emphasis on mental health mm-hmm. um, and on like the hierarchy of, of typical restaurant structure. Um, I feel really passionately about like tapping into how people are feeling at work and if they're not only how they're feeling but like transforming the the typical structure of a restaurant and understanding how that mentally affects someone and how to create a workspace that still gets the job done like i admire so many people that push that type of boundary how do we do that what are you doing how are you evolving to achieve this yeah i think that one having a lot of one-on-one conversations to like build up information to create something more structured is where I'm at with it. Like I really just want to tap into, um, I know the technical. And so right now I'm working on like, I know the steps of service. How do I, how do I take the levels of responsibility and make it more unified and make it more kind of like, I don't know like water in a sense that like we can rely on each other instead of someone feeling like all the server feeling like the weight is all on them Mm -hmm. to make everything happen and like what does that do to that person mentally when something goes wrong that whole idea of like well it's your table yeah you know yeah yeah like a a more collective approach yeah i think there is like service is going in that direction as technology improves and we rely more on technology and less less on the human element um like QSR codes are a great example. Right. Now we don't need uh, one person for five tables. We can have a couple people 
take a team approach to take like just reading the room. Right. Like we're here to to scan and like go to where we're needed. Right. Like I think that's kind of the evolution of the industry is leaning more on technology and letting us be more human and yeah. do the human thing. It's actually really interesting. I get more compliments about how I manage the QSR system and and giving hospitality in tandem with that than I do like regular sir even though we got a lot of people that were like I hate this like yeah. you know well, that's, they'll forget about it before it becomes more <laughs> standard um, I've loved this conversation one more quick break to thank our sponsors we're going to bust out a speed round this episode is brought to you by Zinch when you own a restaurant a lot can happen suddenly and the unexpected can be expensive when you're short staffed during the busy season you can't delay hiring and the slower seasons still come with bills to pay when an appliance breaks down or new locations need Need more equipment, you have to work fast to keep the kitchen running smoothly. You don't have time to wait around for the traditional loan process to get the cash you need. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Zinch, a direct lender that gets businesses like yours. Since 2004, Zinch has made the financing process for small and medium-sized business fast, flexible, and inclusive with easy-to-understand solutions. If your restaurant is generating over $10,000 in monthly revenue and has been in business for over six months, Zinch can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days, so much faster than the traditional lenders. To apply, just fill out a simple application form and provide a copy of your four most recent Bank statements. It's that easy. No drawn out paperwork to keep track of and no lengthy waiting to see if you qualify. You'll get a response from Zinch in 24 hours. Plus, Zinch's specialists are just a phone call away. They'll guide you every step of the way to help you choose the terms that best fit your business's needs. Save yourself the stress of financing through a bank. Apply for Zinch today. Right now, Zinch is waiving application fees for my listeners. A value of $250. Go to financing thatworks.com to get pre-qualified and see how much financing you could get with Zinch. Don't wait. Go to financingthatworks.com today. Loans made or arranged pursuant to California Finance Lenders Law License. We're back and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Is this timed? (laughs) We can always edit it in the back end. Jared's great. Thank you, Jared. Um... My sense of of people. Mm. What is your biggest weakness? Organization. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? Smile. Mm, that's a big one. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? <laughs> um, evolving our business from a financial perspective. How are you overcoming it? Uh, looking for investors. Yeah. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? And investors, if you're listening, <laughs> she's great. They're great. Invest. Um, for them to have pride in what they're doing. Mm. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Uncommon? Uncommon. Common within the four walls or not there's no walls here right now but you know what i'm saying on, on the on your patio that yeah. is not, that isn't common throughout the industry yeah oh that's a great question yeah. um to go above and beyond what the guest expects i'm trying to think that's so hard um because i feel like we are it is kind of things right now are very kind of like standardized um they 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 have a choice in terms of there there's a lot of flexibility in terms of the uniform 
Mm-hmm. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Oh, setting the table by yeah. far. Biggest lesson from that book? Um, I don't. There's so many. The biggest lesson? People first. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, put a probably, lot of time into these questions. We put a lot yeah, of thought. Know, we're actually going to evolve the questions. The plan is after a thousand episodes, we're almost there. We might change them up a little bit, but sorry. Okay, cool. Them. Yeah, no worries. Um, well enough or often enough? Being on the floor, hmm. like connecting with Out of guests. the office, yeah, on the floor. I yeah. like that. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? <laughs> um, we're still kind of testing it. Um, but, um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the system? What does it do? It, 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 uh, it's like an inventory system. Is uh, it craftable? No, it's like chef something. Chefable, chef's chef's table. What is it extra chef? Is it extra chef with toast? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. inventory management. Yeah. Uh, so what? How is that? What's the feature you like the most? Why? Why is it exciting you? It's exciting me because like we have we. It's kind of like one of those steps beyond the pop up. You know, like before in the pop, we weren't yeah. like really honing in on the numbers and really honing in on the margins like yeah. as much. It was just like. It's Literally, less consistent, it was yeah. yeah. It was it was something to keep us open and afloat, you yeah. know. Um, but now that it's like it feels like a real restaurant in the sense that like okay, we got to hone in on this and like how much we're ordering and and it the storage of the order. Attention. Yeah, it's the framing. It's like a checklist that's being forced on you. Yeah, for it's sure. Powerful. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and how's it impacting your business? It's it's do it's super like it's good because we're reanalyzing a lot of our vendors and purveyors and. Um, Along with like one, what makes sense for numbers, but two, we're also really interested in, in, in ordering from more local sources. So again, it kind of just pushes us to like make those calls, have those conversations, understand those numbers. Yep. Um, and so extra chef assists us with like Love figuring it. that out. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, this is the last question. You made it to the end. <laughs> well done. And this is a doozy. So get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, mm. what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Give back to your community. One. Um, lead through example. Two. By example. Um, have fun. Three. I've loved this conversation to me, Jamila. Really, I have. You were great. And um, we really tried to let my guests steer the ship of Restaurant Unstoppable. Who do you respect and admire? Who's out there that you're paying attention to that's doing it right? Who's, you know, doing well by their employees, but also being profitable at the same time? Like, if they were a guest on the show tomorrow, we'd be like, I'm listening to that episode. I want to hear some nuggets. Who is that for you? Right now, um, and it's been it's been this way for like the last two years or so, Val Chang of Itamai and B-Side. That's Val Chang? Yeah, Valerie. Um, Valerie Chang. Um, I admire her so much. And what's the name of her restaurant? Um, Itame. It's I... A T A M E. 
She also owns, um, it's called B-Side Sushi, and she's opening up a new concept. This is right here in Miami? Yeah. Awesome. Um, Look out, Valerie. I'd love to get you on the show. I'd love to get Chef Wes on the show, your husband. He'd be amazing. Next time we're in town, I'm going to reach out. I hope you don't mind. Hopefully, we can make room for him. And um, I think... How can we connect? That's the only other question. If we really enjoyed today's conversation, uh, maybe we're in Miami. Maybe we really resonated with your story. Maybe we love brunch and we want to come work with you. What's the best way to connect? Um, So our social media handle is Rosie's MIA. Um, My personal is um, at Find Me Where Food Is. Um, Website? Yeah, so Rosie's MIA.com. Got it. And uh, that's perfect. Awesome. This is where I say, Jamila, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thank Thank you. This was so great. You're a blast. You're the best. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Jamila West, for coming on, sharing your inspiring story, and just being a badass. It was an honor to make an example of you. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more podcast episodes just like this one today, then please support this show. There's a ton of ways you can support this show. One way to support the show is just by sharing it with everyone you know. If you know of somebody working in the restaurant industry who's trying to increase their revenue or just be happier, then put this podcast on their radar. Everyone that you know who's a restaurant operator should know about this thing. Help us get the word out there, and thank you. You can also support our sponsors. Our sponsors are vetted. We don't let... Anybody partner with Restaurant Unstoppable, we really only try to promote the tools and services that are being recommended on the show. Uh, So if you use our sponsors, you're in good hands, and that goes a long way. Also, using our affiliate links, this is anytime a tool or service is recommended organically, we just use an affiliate link, which allows us to earn a commission that... And we'd be telling you about these tools or service. I'm not even telling you about these tools or service. My guests are. It's just an easy way to make a passive uh, income there and to help us, you know, travel. And the expenses are growing here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And then one other thing I haven't been asking a lot of you lately is to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, our most downloads come from iTunes, and those reviews help our ranking. So if you haven't left a review and you are finding value in this podcast, we would love a review. Plus, I I love those reviews. It's great feedback for me. So uh, let us know. What you're thinking and then i do want to let you know about something that seven shifts is doing right now they reached out to me there's a way that if you're a student or if you're looking to get involved in an internship you can earn two thousand dollars towards that program or that internship all you have to do is submit your pitch so record yourself a 90 minute video sorry 90 second video and just letting them know who you are your story your goals and your vision for yourself and then they'll give you a link and then you share that voting link and uh, encourage your friends and family to you know vote for you. Uh, and then by March 22nd, so there's still some time left, they will announce a winner. And a little secret here, they haven't had a lot of people submit. So there's good odds. So go to the show notes, episode 972, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 972. We'll have a link in the show notes for you to submit your... You have to be a student uh, to submit your... Uh, video over there at seven shifts and good luck and then i can't say goodbye without saying thank you to jared parisi and to sam hall for all the work they're doing with the editing and videography and social media it takes an army i'm so grateful for mine that's it for today until next time peace out